growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. We've got to learn from judgment in the past. That it's very, very important that we learn from judgment in the past. Judgment. It's a word that's fallen out of favor in our culture today. Most people believe that each person has the right to live the way they want. Each person can set their own standards, and no one has the right to judge them for it. But is that really true? It's always the same sin. Are you under, you hear me? It's always the same sin when God's judgment comes. It is rebellion. Rebellion against God will always bring judgment from God. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're continuing to make our way through the book of Jude and our last building on the basics subject, judgment. Two weeks ago, Pastor Clay started us out in the book of Jude, looking at one of three examples from the Old Testament where God brought judgment. The nation of Israel was guilty of rebellion against God because they refused to believe God. As a result, God's judgment came on the nation of Israel. You know what Israel did when God pronounced judgment on there? Oh, 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 we're sorry, God. Oh, we're so sorry. We'll go in the land now. And God said, no, you won't. No, you won't. See, rebellion against God brings the judgment of God. This week, Pastor Clay is going to show us two other examples that Jude gives us and what the lesson is for us today from all three examples of the past. We're glad you've joined us today as we look to God's Word and its application for all of our lives. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Some of you, maybe most of you, know that I grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, my dad uh, owned a dairy farm. Uh, one night, my dad got a call, and I, I think it's from a neighbor. I was, I was young, but got a call from somebody saying that they had seen some lights uh, in one of our back pastures, some, some lights in some back piece of property. So uh, my dad uh, grabbed his 30-30 semi-automatic uh, rifle, uh, jumped in his truck, <laughs> jumped in his truck, uh, and took off. Uh, when he got down there, sure enough, there was uh, two young men uh, trying to rustle cow, cows, trying to steal some, some cows. When they saw my dad coming, they took off running as fast as they could, and my dad yelled for them to stop. They didn't. They kept running. So my dad squeezed off a couple of rounds right over their head, and they stopped dead in their tracks. Nothing like a, a good, solid warning to stop you in your tracks, is there? Nothing like a couple of rounds whizzing over your head, I assume, to uh, stop you in your tracks. I'll, I'll never forget my dad driving back up to the house with those two young men sitting in the back of his truck. <laughs> that, basically, is what is going on in the book of Jude. God is squeezing off a couple of rounds, really three rounds over our heads. God is trying to get us, us being individuals, nations, He's trying to get us to stop in our tracks and think about the ramifications of what we are involved in or about to get involved in. God is giving us a very sober Warning. I'll go ahead and tell you this, and I may have alluded to this even a couple of weeks ago when we started here in Jude, but I'll go ahead and, and say this to you. And I've, I've just, this has been heavy on my heart all week as I've been preparing this, but this is not going to be pleasant 
for either of us. I am not the kind of pastor or preacher that loves to rail on the, the current conditions of our culture or, or, or rail on the sinfulness and decadence of our society. I, I take no pleasure in doing that uh, uh, type of thing. It, it brings me no uh, joy to talk about the judgment of God on people. And by the way, it shouldn't bring joy to your life uh, as well. There, I don't say this very often, but there are, there are certainly places in this message today where you should not, amen. Because it's not a time to say, yeah, that's right. We shouldn't take joy or glee in it. And by the way, God doesn't either. Maybe you've read this in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, says this, As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. That's not not what God is about. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn. Turn from wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Obviously, in the context of Ezekiel, uh, this was specifically referring and aimed at the nation of Israel in their particular rebellion at that particular time in their life. But it obviously would, make, would apply to any people, people's person that is turning away from, rebelling against the Lord God. God says, I take no pleasure. And there's people that try to paint God, paint this picture of God as this brooding angry, vengeful God that's just looking to zap anybody that steps out out of of line as soon as he can. People that try to paint that picture of God don't have the slightest idea what they're talking about. More precisely, they don't have the slightest idea of who they're talking about. This is not something that brings God pleasure, nor does it bring me pleasure, but it is in the Word of God. And so, my desire, quite honestly, my commandment from God is to present the truth of God's word to you. We are in the book of Jude. We are building on the last basic of this series that we've been building on, and it is judgment. It is a basic understanding of our theology to understand judgment, what it is, why God brings judgment, what its intention is and purposes are. uh, Two weeks ago, I was gone uh, last week, of course, and Cale uh, brought a great message last week, but two weeks ago, when I started this, I read all of Jude. Today, I'm only going to read verses 1 through 7 and the verses dealing with this, this particular topic that we started two weeks ago. Y'all ready? Thank you. Thank you. Look at me. Thank you for being here. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, I, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that 
by the way, it doesn't mean that God picked them before he created them to, to do this evil. What he's saying is, is that it was, it was decided beforehand that, that men who, who went in this direction, that this would be the result. This is what would, would come out of it. This would be the judgment that would be coming upon them. They've crept into the church. They're influencing some of the teachings. We've talked about that, obviously, all the way through uh, John's letters. Now, verse 5, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So he saved them, brought them out of slavery. And then what does he do? He destroyed them. Verse 6, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So, two weeks ago, we started with one one idea. This is the main division statement, and it was this, that you and I need to learn from judgment in the past. That Jude, writing under God's leadership, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is the way we often put it. Jude lists three examples of where God brought judgment. And there must, and there's, there's plenty of examples in the Bible, by the way. There's plenty of other examples in the Bible where God brings judgment. These three are listed, and, and since Jude is writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there must be some reason why these three particular judgments are listed. And I think that there is a particular reason, and I think there are lessons to be learned from each one. And so you and I need to learn from the judgment in the past. And so the, the first example that we covered two weeks ago was this. Israel was guilty of rebellion of unbelief toward God. If you didn't, if weren't here for that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. The story of how God took them out of slavery, took them out of Egypt, fulfilled the promise that he had made hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. God had been faithful. God takes them out into the wilderness. God brings them to the very door, if you will, into the promised land. And in that moment, they, they said, uh, no. We, we, the, the giants are too big. The lands, too, their cities are too fortified. We can't do it. We can't do it. They, were, they rebelled against God. This is essentially what it comes down to. <clears throat> they refused to have faith and follow God. At that moment in their lives, after all the promises, after all they'd been through, after all that God had shown them, after all the ways he had demonstrated his power and his love for them, at the very moment when it counted the most and they're ready to go in, they say no. And God turns them around and he takes them back out into the wilderness where every single person from the age of 21 up, died in the wilderness before God took the next generation in. When I, uh, when I mentioned this, uh, this first judgment of Israel a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, after the service and in days after that, I, I had a few people contact me and, and just honestly share uh, just areas where they struggle with this. They struggle. It was a very... Uh, sobering message to them because this was this as i said a couple weeks ago, this is the people of god 
<laughs> right? These are the ones he's chosen to be his people and raise up a nation and bring the Messiah through and record his word through and all those things. And, and God is no respecter of persons, as we said back then. And, and when people rebel, they can expect the judgment of God as a result of that. And, and some people came to me and said, I, I, I struggle in this area of my life or I struggle in that area. Can I say this to you? I appreciate very much your honesty. I, I really do. Just your honesty with yourself, with God, and, and even being willing to, to be honest with me. And quite honestly, there were probably others of you if you were here, that perhaps felt some uh, conviction about some area of your life where you're, you know you're not following God, you've not been willing to follow God in that area of your life, and who, who didn't come to me. So can I just remind all of us, can I just remind all of us of this passage in Hebrews uh, chapter 11? A man, a man or woman, a person cannot please God unless he has, would you say it please, Faith cannot please God unless he has faith. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. And that one must also know that God gives what is promised to the one who keeps on looking for him. In whatever area of your life it is where, where the faith has to be applied. If you're struggling in that area, if you're, if you're, if you're not uh, following him into that area of your life, it's rebellion. I'm sorry, plain and simple. That's, God says it's rebellion. You're refusing to believe me about this or that or, or that area of your life. And I know what our tendency is. Our tendency is, well, that's, that's, a, little, that's a little strong, Clay. I mean, rebellion? I mean, I, I believe in God. I, I'm here today, aren't I? I mean, I, I, I serve him in an area of, of ministry. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to do the right thing. It's just this one area that it's just really difficult for me, and I'm struggling in this area, and I, it's just this one area that I'm, I, I just haven't been willing to follow God in in my life. It's not really rebellion. I, when I was thinking about that. I thought, yeah, that's probably what the people of Israel said just before God turned their butts around and marched them out into the desert where they would die. This is hard, I, I know, because I, I know there are areas of my life where I, can, where I can let rebellion come in if I'm not careful and, and refuse. Oh, no, God, I, I'm comfortable right here right now. I, I can't take that step. By the way, this, this is kind of a catch-22, but uh, God loves us until he knows what he's doing. When, when he finally gets you to like, uh, 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 when he finally gets you to do that, right? Guess what? <laughs> he's pushing you again because there's another one coming. Because that's what he's trying to do. It's where he's trying to take us further than where we are. And we tend to just like, yeah, I'm good. Settle in here. Especially us men, right? We're like, so that was Israel's sin. That was the first example. And God says, don't do it. Don't go down that road. I don't care whether you're my, you may be my child. But if you're rebelling against me, you, you can just know that I love you too much to let you stay in that rebellion. All right, that was the first example. Let's look at the second one, the first new one that we're dealing with today. Uh, but it is this, the angels. The angels were guilty of rebellion against the authority of God. That was the second example there, I think, in uh, verse 6. The angels were guilty of rebellion against the authority of God. Now, in that text, I don't have time to deal with it, maybe to as much of an extent as would help, but uh, there's a lot of different ideas of people saying, well, what is this? When, 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 when is, what was this rebellion? What's it referring to? And, and is it this or is it that? Did they, the, I believe that the plainest understanding and interpretation probably, Judah's probably referring to the events that are recorded in Isaiah uh, chapter 14, I think it is, where uh, 
Lucifer, now known as Satan, rebels against God. And in the process, he convinces a significant number of angels. Matter of fact, uh, Revelation chapter 12 tells us, however many it is, it tells us one-third of the, of the angels sided with, with Lucifer, with Satan. They took his side. They, and I, listen, I have no doubt that, that Lucifer sold them the same lie that he later sold to Adam and Eve. And it was this. You don't need God. You don't have to come up under his authority. You can be your own God. That, in essence, is the story in Genesis chapter 3. It's the story, I believe, here. You don't, you, you, don't, you don't have to follow God. You don't have to submit to God's authority. You can make your choices. You can do what you want. You can, in essence, be your own God. Whether we're talking about an individual or a nation or whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm quite sure that Satan sold them the same lie they sold Adam and Eve. And the, and the text tells us in Revelation 12 that a third of them sided with him. They took his side and they rebelled against the very authority of God. Because, here it is, the angels refused to submit and surrender to God. That's what it's always coming back to when, when the rebellion is in the area of authority. Refused to submit and to surrender to God. The word uh, angel, some of you probably already know this, but the word angel, by the way, simply means messenger. They were, they were the messengers of God. They were specially created uh, uh, creatures that God used primarily to, to be in his presence, to, de- to deliver God's message to mankind and, and, uh, and his purposes to see those fulfilled. Apparently, Satan convinced them that that wasn't good enough, that that wasn't good enough that they should be in the presence of God. It wasn't good enough that they get to be messengers for God and, and deliver God's news of his purposes and plans. They could do better than that. They could be their own gods. There it is. It's always coming back to that reality. That I don't have to submit. I don't have to surrender to God's will for my life. I can make my own choices. Does that sound familiar? Our culture is saturated with that idea. That I can be who I want to be. I can make my own choices. And it's, it's, and it's my life to live the way I want to live. It's refusing to submit and surrender to God's authority in a person's life. When a person says, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't have to submit to God's authority. They are, in essence, saying, I can be my own God, which then leads you, you're, then you're off into, idol- essentially, into idolatry, worshiping yourself, saying that I am the center of my universe, I'm all that matters, and what the choices I want to make are the choices I want to make. And listen, I know that we've been conditioned and I want you all to listen to me, particularly, particularly younger generations, millennials and Gen Xers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. I want you all to listen to me because I know we have been conditioned to believe that that is correct. That every person should have the right to make their own choices, to live life the way they want to live, to be their own authority. To be their own authority. I can, I can make my choices. I can be my authority. Listen to me. They, they don't have that right. You don't have that right. I don't have that right. Not if there is a God. And that's, I'm always coming back to that argument. Not if there is a God. If there is a God who created everything and is, and is over everything, then he is the one who gets to set the rules. 
and to rebel against his authority is refusing to submit and surrender to his authority in your life. And God takes it very, very seriously. Okay, let me get to the, to the third example. I mean, I think you understand what the angels and their, what their problem was and their refusal to, to submit to God and what caused. By the way, I should say this. We, we know that this is true. We know that there are, there are still demons, fallen angels, demons active in the world today. The text says that, that God, I think in the uh, latter part of verse 6, says that God uh, kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So some of them, I have my speculation that probably the majority of them are kept in darkness under bondage. You remember a couple weeks ago I said that there are two aspects of God's judgment. There is his, his eternal judgment, the fact that, that, uh, that someday God's going to wind this whole thing up and everybody will stand before him and will either stand uh, cleansed in the blood of Christ or we will not and, and angels are already under his condemnation for their, their choices. But I said there's his eternal judgment, but there's also temporal judgment. There are all, also examples or times when God deals with a situation right then and there for a reason. There in verse 6 it says when they, when they rebelled against God, God put a, however many of them into bonds, in, into darkness. By the way, just if you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember I said this. Uh, do you notice that the, the angels essentially got exactly what they asked for? What came in their judgment was actually what they asked for because what they were saying was, I don't want to, to, to answer to God. I don't want to be in the, in the presence of the light of the world. And so God put them in a place of utter, total, complete darkness. By the way, I, I am of the belief that that is at least part of, of what, will someday, what will make hell, hell. You know about that? What, what makes hell, hell? At least part of what makes hell, hell is the reality of the absence of God's presence. And that is something you and I have never experienced because as messed up as this world seems to be right now, and I don't think very many people would argue with the fact that it is, it is messed up. As messed up as this world may be, it is still a world where the, where the Spirit of God is still operating. The Spirit of God is still working in this world. The Spirit of God is still drawing men and women to Him. He's still saving people's lives. He's still changing people's outcomes from, from what it would be to what it could be. Uh, God is still working. But, the, but for, for those angels, they got what they asked for. The, the reality is that whether they are angels currently in bonds or fallen angels currently in bonds or, or still some that are active and working in this world. The bottom line is God uh, has uh, judged them and there is the final judgment coming someday Will they'll stand before God. It's rebellion against the authority of God. Ask yourself this question. And I know we're talking primarily, it's, it's easy to look at the culture and say, well, yeah, you can certainly see where our culture is rebelling against God. That's certainly true. But ask yourself about your own life. Am I rebelling against God in the area of authority? In my everyday life, do I, do I look to God uh, for his direction, for his authority? And what does God say about this or that? Or if I maybe just take a look at this, or if I just get a little bit involved in that, uh, what does God say about that? Do I, do I follow God's authority or... Or am I basically being my own God by making up my own decisions and living under my own authority? That's a, that's a pretty sobering question to ask ourselves this morning. Okay, Israel, angels, one more example, right? Here it is. Sodom and Gomorrah, guilty of rebellion 
against the morality of God. Sodom and Gomorrah are guilty against the morality of God. God's standard, when it has to do with moral issues, Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of that. I read it just a a moment ago. The story that Jude references takes place in Genesis chapter uh, 19. If you've read the story or are familiar with that, you, you may know what all went on. Jude says they were guilty of, the text says they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. We just read that a moment ago. Gross immorality, by the way, gross not like, ooh, gross. There might be some of that, but, but gross in the sense of just the, 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 the sheer amount, this, this sheer amount and, and, and level of uh, immorality. They indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Uh, in the Greek, gross immorality, the word is ekpornousasai. Uh, literally, having, it would literally translate, having given themselves to sexual immorality. Let's be clear, it is sexual immorality that is in view uh, in Jude's reference. It is sexual immorality that is in view in Genesis chapter 19, where he's drawing from this story. And within the context of Genesis 19, here it is, it clearly is homosexuality that God is judging and to homosexuality to such an extent that God says that's the end. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. We're not, we're not going down this road anymore. Now, homosexuality is not the only sexually immoral sin. We all know that. There is, there is, uh, Premarital sex is not, it's not what God designed or wants for her life. Extramarital sex is not what God wants for our life. Homosexuality is not what God wants for our life. And that is clearly uh, what's going on here in Genesis 19. He, this, is, this, was, this was their problem. And this is always the problem when it comes to, to, to immorality. Okay? Here it is. They refuse to acknowledge and accept God's standards. That's what, it, that's what it's always coming back to when we're talking about immorality of any type. But in, in this context, clearly it's sexual immorality. They refuse to accept, to acknowledge, and accept. And those can be two different things. Some people can say, well, yeah, it might be what God says, but I want to do this. No, acknowledge and accept God's standards. I said a moment ago that the story that Jude is referencing here takes place in Genesis chapter 19. Okay, you can go back and read that when you get a chance. But there's a very interesting backstory that takes place in Genesis 18 that you need to understand in order to understand why God brought judgment. Because you might be sitting there thinking, why, why Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, there's always been sexual immorality. There's always been things, people doing things that God doesn't want. And there's always been uh, small percentages or pockets of people uh, practicing homosexuality uh, pretty much uh, throughout uh, human history. So, so why uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? It's, it's a good question because it's true. There's almost always been sexual immorality. And there's always been, to some extent, homosexuality practiced here and there uh, throughout uh, human history. So, so why... Why Sodom and Gomorrah? Why does, why does God uh, bring the hammer down on Sodom and Gomorrah? This, this is why we need to understand the backstory of Genesis chapter 18 to see why God did this. Okay, you with me? All right. In Genesis 18, God comes to uh, Abraham and Sarah and he tells them, uh, you, by this time next year, you're going to have a child. 
Right? Maybe you've read that story. You're gonna, it was a joyous occasion. God, then a human manifestation apparently comes to them. And, and, the, and the Lord says, by this time next year, you're going to have a child. And if you've read the story, you may remember that what does Sarah do when she hears this? She's listening in the tent when she's telling everybody, what, is, what does Sarah do? Do you remember? Sarah laughs. Sarah's like, oh my God. <laughs> well, she probably didn't say, oh my God. She probably said, oh my. No, he's, no. Right? Because why? Because we're, we're old. We're, we're way past childbearing age. If he'd have come when we were 25 and said that, okay. But I mean, we're old. We're past childbearing. We can't have children, right? We're, we're back to that faith thing, right? We're back to that, that faith thing. Uh, but anyway, so when God, God confronts Sarah about it, he says, Sarah, you, you laughed. Why'd you laugh? And she tries to deny it. You know, oh, no, no, no. No, I didn't. I didn't laugh. I, I hiccuped or something. I don't know what she says. But she says, oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't laugh. And... In the, in the middle of that, here's what you want to get this before we move on. In the middle of that, God makes this statement that every single one of us need to remember, that you need to remember, that I need to remember in those moments in our life when something seems impossible to you. Have you had any of those? This beautiful promise in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 18 is anything too difficult for the Lord. That's what he says to Sarah after she laughs and says, oh no, I didn't laugh and God says, sure, this is impossible. But what's impossible to me? Not even in my vocabulary. So anyway, that's just, that's just a sidebar word of encouragement to you. So anyway, uh, God tells him, you're going to have a child. And then he gets up and he's about to leave when seemingly out of nowhere, God just says this, uh, beginning, I think, in verse 17. God says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what, what I'm about to do? He's talking about what he's about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great nation, a great and mighty nation. And in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Watch this. For I've chosen him. Why? In order that he may command his children and his household after him. There's a good word, men. Command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. By by acting morally the way God would want. Watch this. Why? In order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Do you see what he's saying? In other words, God's saying, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah so that Abraham and his descendants after him will learn this truth, that they need to walk in my way, that they need to live their life according to how I've designed them and what I've said is best for their life, by the way. It's not just our, God, when the rules, the, the moral standards that he sets are there for our good. He says, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell Abraham about this so it will be a lesson to them so that they will learn, so that they will do and live their life the way I want them to live so that I can bring upon them the blessings and all the things that I've said I was going to do for him. You see what he's saying there? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very important truth for your life and my life. That if we want to experience the presence of God in our life, if we want to experience the power of God in our life and his promises to us, if we want to have what God says that we can have, we must choose to live life his way. We have to choose his, his standards. So that I can do what I've said I will do. God, so many things God has said he will do for you. But you've got to choose his moral standards. So, in verse 20 then, God, uh, the text says, God says to, to uh, Abraham, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly 
grave. By the way, I just thought of something. Some of you may be wondering about the reference to strange flesh. I need to say that before I go on. Some some people have alluded to the fact that strange flesh may actually be a reference to bestiality. Uh, I can't definitively say whether that was going on or not going on in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. What I can definitively say is that Genesis 19 in its context is referring to the sexual uh, sin of, of homosexuality. That, clear, that clearly is going on. Whether other things were going on, and if, you, and if you don't know what I just made reference to, if you don't know what bestiality is, good. But uh, he, anyway, he, it, clearly that, that was the sin that, that seems to bring the, the judgment of God down on that place. So it says the outcry of something more is indeed great and their sin is indeed in exceedingly grave. So I'm paraphrasing here, but God goes on to say, the Lord says to Abraham, I'm going down there. I'm going down to Sodom and Gomorrah and we'll see what we see. Well, Abraham's a sharp guy. He knows what that means. He knows, he knows what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm convinced that he knows what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe he's been there himself and experienced it, but we know that he has a nephew named Lot who's living there. And, and Abraham knows when God gets down there, it is not going to go well. And, and remember, God already knows all this stuff, but, right? But he's trying, to li- he's trying to show Abraham. He's trying to get, give Abraham an example of this. So God, God, uh, the Lord says, when I get, when I get, we'll just see what we see when we get down there. And so then what follows in the rest of chapter 18 is this, what, what I think is a rather comical uh, exchange between the Lord and Abraham, where Abraham basically kind of tries to wheel and deal with God. And he says, uh, now, Lord, uh, you're, you're a righteous God. Uh, you get down there. If there are 50 righteous people down there, well, I, I know you wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't wipe the place out for if there are 50 uh, righteous people down there, would you? Now listen, can I just say this to you? This, this, just right now, Abraham has stepped into an area. This, this is like uh, shooting pool against a guy that walks in with a custom-made pool cue in, inside a custom-made uh, case. This is like playing golf against a guy that's got his name stitched on the bag. This is, this is like playing cards against a guy whose nickname is Ace. It, it just, it's just not going to end well. You're not going to win this one. Abraham's not going to win this one, is he? Because God already knows, doesn't he? God knows there aren't 50 righteous people down in Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities of the plain. But he says, for 50 people, I'll, I'll spare the whole place. Again, Abraham's asked God about 50, but Abraham knows there's not 50 righteous people down there. No, he says, well, he says, Lord, forgive me uh, for pushing this issue, but uh, you wouldn't destroy it for five less. This is just five less. You wouldn't destroy it for five less. And God says, for 45, I'll spare it. Abraham knows there aren't 45, and so he says, uh, God, you wouldn't destroy it for 40, would you? And God says, for 40, I won't destroy it. And Abraham says, God, you wouldn't destroy it for 30, would you? And God says, for 30, I'll, I won't destroy it. Abraham goes to 20. He says, God, for 20, for 20, you wouldn't destroy it. And God says, for 20, I'll not destroy it. Finally, Abraham, I know he's, he feels he's got to be pushing his luck here, but he says, Lord, what, 10 people. If there are 10 righteous people down there, uh, w- would you spare it for 10 people? And God agrees. God says, for 10 people, Abraham, I'll spare the whole place. But God knows there aren't 10 righteous people. There aren't 10 people in the whole place trying to live for him. Now, nobody knows for sure what the population of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain were, but... Easily, you could estimate it at several thousands of people. Several thousands of people living there, and God can't find ten who are living for him. 
You see, here it is. This is why God brought judgment right then and there on Sodom and Gomorrah. Here it is. Yes, because of the culture's action of sexual immorality, because of what they were doing, yes. But also, and tied to that, because the culture's acceptance of sexual immorality. Folks, that's where it is. Was everybody down there engaged in sexual immorality? Probably not. We know Lot wasn't. But, but sexual immorality, and particularly homosexuality, had become so pervasive. It had become so much a part of the culture. It had become so accepted in that culture that God was going to literally rain judgment down on them right then and there. And I, and I, know, I know that talking about, you know, homosexuality probably makes people, some people mad. And I, and I know part of it's because a person or they know some person that, that's in, engaged in a homosexual relationship and, and they see no harm in it because I know what we've been conditioned to believe. Again, what I said earlier, that, that every person has the right to choose for themselves however they want to live life or love who they want to love. Uh, and, and all of that would, would, would make sense if there's not a God. Which, by the way, is why there's been such a significant push to eradicate God from our culture over the last 40 or 50 years particularly. If I can just remove God, the, the very presence of God, if I can get prayer out of his schools, out of the schools, if I can, if I can get uh, uh, the, his words taken out of uh, this document or that document, or if I can make it illegal to, to pray at a football game, if I, can, if I can prove that God doesn't exist, if I, if I can try and do all these things, uh, then, then I and my, my world, my culture, we can live any way that we want to live. But there's actually a, phrase, a term for it. I, I read it just the other day, came across it. Um, Maximum autonomy. That's what it's actually called. Ma- that, that there's a segment of our culture that, that for years has been working on this idea of maximum autonomy. Complete freedom to live my life any way I want to live it, to make any choices I want to live. That's the bottom line. That's what I want. Now, let me, can I say this? Not only is that simply not practical, because a nation that actually practiced maximum autonomy, complete freedom, would, would, would degrade into total chaos and anarchy in a short period of time. But what they fail to realize is that they're not actually free at all. They're not free at all. We become slaves to the very sin nature that drives us to indulge in practices that God has said, this is not what's best for you. Don't do this. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was nobody left who would stand up and say, whoa, whoa, guys, what are we doing? This is not what God has for us. This is not what God has designed for us. This is wrong. There was nobody left to stand up and say that. Now, some people who, who try and, and explain away this, this text here in Jude and in Genesis 19 have tried to imply that this is really not about, about sex at all, that the men of the city, and you have to go back and read the Genesis 19 account, but the men of the city were mad because Lot had, had taken them into their, his home as soon as they came into the city, and they hadn't got a chance to meet him. They were just mad that they didn't get to meet him, and so they wanted the men to come out so they could meet him. Now listen, I, I'm, I'm just being honest. You have to, you have to violate every Every known uh, discipline and practice of, of textual interpretation, literary interpretation, to come away with any interpretation other than the plain one, which was the men of that city wanted to engage in a sexual relationship with the angels that God had sent down there, and, and, and God was going to judge it. God was going to judge it. It's refusing God's standard of morality.
Now listen, I, uh, I, again, it's not something I like to, you know, just say, yeah, look at that. I'm just telling you, this is what God's Word says. And I think He's, I think he's squeezing one off over our heads. Because the, the, that city-state, that, the, the cities of the plain, they become so corrupt, so in, engrossed in sexual immorality. It had become such a pervasive part of their culture. It had become such a pervasive part of their culture. Are you listening to me? The, the pastor that Cindy and I grew up under, Pastor Dick Whipple, who just passed away about a, about a month ago. Listen, this is what, when we, were, when we first came to Christ, he used to say this all the time. This, this is what he used to say. He used to say this. He said, if God doesn't judge America... He's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And can I tell you something? That was 30, more than 30 years ago that I used to hear him say that. Rebellion against God will always meet the justice of God through the judgment of God. That's just, that's just the way it works. That's just how it is, folks. He loves us too much to not judge us and, then, and to at least show others I'm serious about this. I'm serious about, about what my standards are and why you need to live this way. Let me show you real quickly just a couple of passages of scriptures to remind, uh, just to remind you that it's throughout God's word. 1 Samuel 15, 23. This is spoken to Saul. Who, he's the king of Israel, man. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you. And Saul was removed as king of Israel. He, Actually, killed in battle. Uh, look at this one, Isaiah chapter 1. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? He's saying uh, to the prophet Isaiah, he's saying to the nation of Israel, goodness gracious, said the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. He says, how, how long are you just going to keep, you just going to keep going through this and me having to judge you and, and bring discipline against you and you just keep right on? Uh, look at this one. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 28, this is spoken to a, a prophet by the name Hananiah. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. Uh-oh. When God, if, if, you hear, if, if, you, if you hear that, it just, okay. Behold, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This year, you're going to die because, why? You have counseled rebellion against the Lord. Hananiah told the people that God wanted them do something or one thing or another and it was it was exactly the opposite of what God wanted to do it was rebellion and so God said I'm about to remove you that's that's uh, Jeremiah 28 16 by the way you know what Jer- Jeremiah 28 17 says and that same year he died I'm just telling you God takes this seriously one more you need to see this in Galatians chapter 6 do not be deceived Oh, God's a God of love. Oh, God's patient. Oh, God's not going to do this. Oh, God's do not be deceived. God will not be made a fool for a person will reap what he sows. I'm telling you, it's not pleasant. I'm just telling you, it's the truth. It's what God says. So, here here, here it is. Look at Israel. What are they guilty of? They're guilty of rebellion of unbelief toward God. Angels... They're guilty of rebellion against the authority of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, guilty of rebellion against the morality of God. It's easy to look at our culture and say, wow, boy, do they need to hear this message. And they do. They do. Listen, 
There was nobody left to stand up and say this is wrong. And, and, I, and if you're thinking what the first thought that came to my mind as I was, I was writing that out and I was thinking if, if I was listening to this, my first thought might be whether it's a high school student or a person at work and, and the subject of homosexuality comes up. If I, if I stand up, if I stand up, if I stand up and say, no, wait, wait, no, this is wrong. That's not what God says. God, God doesn't say that everybody has a right to love whoever they want. God says he created them male and female. If I stand up and do that, I'm going to be accused of being, say it. What am I going to be? You're a homophobe. You're a homophobe. You're a homophobe. Listen to me. After studying this text and looking at the account in Genesis 19, let me say this to you. I am a homophobe. I'm not afraid of the people engaged in, in the immoral practice of homosexuality. They're simply being deceived by, by Satan, by the world, and by their own fleshly desires. I'm not afraid of them, but I am afraid, I am afraid that our nation may have become so, has become so accepting, so tolerant of, of a sexual uh, standard that is so opposite of what God has said. I'm afraid that God's judgment may fall on this nation very soon. And I'm not a doomsday predictor. I'm not, you know, I know I've read the back of the book. I know we win and how it ends up. We being followers of Jesus, not Americans. But I, I, I'm, just saying you, I'm just saying to you that God, God won't be mocked, whether it's a person, whether it's a nation. The question, here we go, we'll close. The question that I, that I want all of us to ask yourself, am I rebelling against God in the area of belief, in the area of authority, or in the area of morality in my life? Is there something in my life? And that's a question that you not only need to ask yourself this morning, even in the quietness of this, just in just a moment, but that's a question you and I need to ask ourselves all the time, because guess what? All the time, stuff can creep into your life. Have you ever had anything creep into your life that you knew wasn't right, or you knew God was bringing conviction, and you, and you have you ever had that? Man, I have, I do. So it's a question we need to ask all the time. God, am I letting anything come into my life that would be rebellion against you in the area of belief, in the area of your authority over my life, or in the area of your morality? Judgment. It's not always an easy subject to discuss. Because as I said at the beginning of today's message, judgment has fallen out of favor in our current culture. But as we heard today, it hasn't fallen out of favor with God. His expectations and standards for our lives are non-negotiable, and they are intended to help us live healthier, more productive, and peaceful lives as individuals and as a culture. The angels rebelled against God's authority. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah rebelled against God's morality. There's a close connection between both of those concepts. If we accept God's authority over us, then we should also accept God's standards for our lives. As Pastor Clay explained in today's message, God gave us these examples to teach us the importance of living our lives as God would want us to. The world around us is constantly changing the standards by which they live. It's important for all of us to remember that God hasn't changed His standards. It's always a good idea for us to honestly evaluate our lives and to ask the question, Am I rebelling against God? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not 
getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.